0: The economy bounces back in a major way in the third quarter. Democrats get triumphalist before the votes are in. And news breaks on Hunter Biden that could be some trouble for Joe. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Stop putting your online data at risk. Get protected at expressvpn.com. Slash Ben. This is the final Friday before the election. The final Friday. The final countdown. Okay. So we're gonna get to everything news related in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that there is nothing worse than having malware on your computer. If you've ever had this, if somebody has ever put ransomware on your computer where they lock all of your files and then basically they blackmail you into paying them so that they can unlock your files, well then you know, ransomware, Malware, all this stuff sucks. What you need is something that will protect you, and this is where PC Matic comes in. PC Matic is a next generation antivirus designed to stop modern threats like ransomware, independent testing from AV test. Just name PC Matic as a top performer in the cybersecurity industry, giving it the best performance award for 2019. Only PC Matic has American research, development, and support. PC Matic's competition is foreign made, often in countries where malware originates. PC Matic will block annoying and malicious ads for hassle free web browsing It makes your computer faster and more reliable even after years of use. Matic protects Windows computers, including XP, Vista, Windows 7, 8, and 10, Windows Servers Macs, MacBooks, and Android phones and tablets, and it's just 50 bucks for five devices for one year with a full 30-day money-back guarantee. If you act right now, PC Matic has offered my listeners a free month of security protection with the purchase of an annual license. If you're not protecting yourself from malware, you're making a big mistake because you're only going to recognize what a big mistake that is the moment that malware hits your computer. To access this offer and protect yourself, go to PCmatic.com slash Ben. Again, get that world-class security that keeps your computer running great. Go to PCmatic.com slash Ben. Okay, so going into the final weekend of the election, the big piece of news really should be the fact that the economy bounced back in a massive way in the third quarter. There was a massive Q3 recovery number. GDP rose at 33.1% for the quarter on an annualized basis. That is a remarkable turnaround from the plunge of 31.4% the economy registered in the second quarter but economists immediately started downplaying this thing because people shouldn't believe that maybe having Trump in charge is good. So instead, we're going to pretend that things remain awful, even though the reality is that that's a pretty damned good recovery, considering that half the country is still shut down. I mean, New York, New Jersey, California, all these places are still shut down. Okay, I just came from California. It is still shut down over there and it's going to be renewed in its shutdown. That is a testament to the underlying strength of the economy that it bounced back in such a strong way with one arm tied behind its back. John Burkett, St. Lawrence, Senior Portfolio Manager at Essential Wealth Advisor says, the obvious caveat is when you drop 30% and you gain 30%, you're still below where you started. That's because if you drop 30% from 100, you're now at 70%. Okay, and then if you take 30% of 70, 30% of 70 is not 30, right? So you're back up and it's like 90, 92. So you're still below where you started. But the bottom line is that that is indeed a massive, massive recovery from what was an exogenous shock to the system. That could not have been foreseen or predicted. If it could have been, then presumably somebody in Europe would have predicted it. I'm constantly amazed at the willingness of everybody in the United States to believe that President Trump knew what was going on, decided deliberately to allow this thing to happen and wreck the American economy in not only a re-election year, but just as a general moral matter. He was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to let 200,000 people die for no reason at all and lose my re-election bid on, the, on that basis. It makes perfect sense. It's the, the same illogical stupidity and moral blindness that led the left to declare that Bush lied, people died in Iraq, that Bush deliberately took us to war in Iraq knowing there were no weapons of mass destruction because he was just that evil. It was war for oil. It was war for revenge and all that kind of crap. And the reality is lots of mistakes get made in politics because lots of mistakes get made in life. But one of the things that is perfectly obvious is that the business community correctly trusts the Trump administration to not destroy business on the basis of other priorities. And that is why business has been rehiring, It's why businesses have been coming back. Vice President Pence spoke about this yesterday, bragged about the economy growing more than 33%. This should be the talking point going into the weekend is that Joe Biden is likely to stagnate the economy at an extraordinary level. He's already talked about radically raising taxes. He's talked about raising the corporate income tax rate. He's talked about raising the top income tax rate. He has talked about raising the the payroll tax. He has talked about extraordinary regulations, particularly regulations that benefit big labor. Everything that he has talked about is likely to dampen the economy. Trump is more trusted than than Biden is on the economy, and he should be. Here's Mike Pence making the case yesterday.
1: With today's new GDP numbers just this morning, the American economy grew by more than 33% in the third quarter, shattering any previous American record. The great American comeback is
0: on. Okay, so that should be the final pitch going into the election. As we will see, that is not the final pitch going into the election. Instead, it's a bunch of other sort of random things that people don't care about nearly as much, which is not a great election strategy. However, the economists are already starting to try to play this down. So NBC News says the strong GDP figure camouflages the K-shaped nature of the recovery that has caused economic sectors such as housing to rebound strongly, while other industries like airlines and restaurants remain moribund. Okay, but exactly how are you supposed to fix that? I mean, we're in the middle of COVID still. So yes, a lot of restaurants are shut because if they are indoor restaurants with a lot of recirculated air conditioning, people are afraid that they're going to get COVID. And it turns out that airlines have been hit really hard, even though the studies tend to show that there's not transmission on airlines. Uh, There have been no serious outbreaks on any airline, even though we are now up over a million passengers a day in the United States, which is not nearly where it was. But I've traveled in the recent past. The planes are fairly full. And there's been no outbreak on planes because planes do have these HEPA filters that, that filter the air. And when they recycle the air, they're actually taking out the virus when they recycle the air. Basically, somebody would have to sneeze directly on you in close quarters or you know, leave their germs in the bathroom or something in order for you to get it on a plane. Everybody on these planes is masked up anyway. And they do have the power under the law to kick you off a plane if you refuse to mask properly on a plane. So there's not been any outbreaks on planes. But the goal of the media is to downplay the recovery because again, what the recovery shows is that the measures that Trump has been taking are actually successful. Not just because he wants to reopen, but also because President Trump would, would like to retain a lot of the economic base that made the economy so strong leading up to the COVID depression. Remember, before the COVID depression, the economy was going great guns. I mean, we had the lowest unemployment rate in half a century. Wages were rising extraordinarily high. They were rising mostly at the bottom end of the spectrum. The median income in the United States had risen dramatically under President Trump under the first three years of his administration. So the underlying fundamentals remain good. And this should be the argument, right? The argument going into the election should be the underlying fundamentals of the economy under Trump would be much, much, much stronger than the underlying fundamentals of an economy under Joe Biden, who would seek to put restraints on the economy in the name of various other priorities, ranging from a Green New Deal to to big labor's priorities, to the attempt to create income equality, which of course is an idiotic goal. Income equality should not be the goal. Prosperity should be the goal. Anybody who focuses on income equality as opposed to prosperity for everybody is missing the boat. You can have income equality in absolute poverty, and you can have income inequality in absolute wealth, right? There's a lot of income inequality between me and Bill Gates. Thank God I do really well. The income inequality means nothing. What matters is the absolute level of income and what kind of life people are able to lead. Prosperity is the important measure, not income inequality. Okay, but here's the thing. Joe Biden would like to actually harm the economy, his, his actual... Policy goals are likely to harm the economy. Apparently, he's flirting with Elizabeth Warren. Politico, citing three Democratic officials who have spoken with Warren's inner circle, reports that the Massachusetts senator and third-place Democratic presidential candidate has her eyes set on the role of Treasury Secretary and plans to advocate for herself starting next week should Democrats take control of the White House. She wants it, two of the officials told the news agency of Warren's ambitions. As Politico notes, the Treasury Secretary in the next president's administration will be tasked with steering the U.S. economy out of deep recession, even as the country struggles, to, struggles with the coronavirus pandemic. This means, presumably, that Elizabeth Warren will be negotiating budgets. It means that Elizabeth Warren will be trying to cram down particular programs on business via the Fed. Her plan, her economic plan, was likely to really, really have a dire impact on the economy. I mean, she was calling for a full-on wealth tax, right? she wanted wide scale wealth confiscation for people with a net worth greater than $50 million. And as I pointed out at the time, measuring people by their net worth is not actually a measure of their wealth. A net worth is what your stock is worth. Let's say you own a private company. Let's say that your private company is worth $200 million, okay? Which means let's say it's a five times EBITDA calculation. That means that the company actually has $40 million in business every year, but your expenses are $38 million or $39 million, right? So you do 40 do $40 million in gross every year. Five times EBITDA means that you end up at a $200 million valuation. Let's say that you own 50% of that company. Well, you are worth, quote unquote, $100 million. The problem is you can't actually liquidate your asset in the company for $100 million. You're not actually worth that. So if you're talking about a 2% tax on $100 million, a 2% wealth tax on $100 million, then what you would actually be talking about is a $2 million tax every single year for a company that may not actually be earning $2 million in profit. Okay, so none of this makes any sense. But Elizabeth Warren's plans didn't have to make sense. They were just confiscatory. That was all it was about. The goal, of course, would be to quash people who are the actual investors in the economy. I know that we love to believe that what actually drives the economy is low-level spending. That is not what drives the economy. What drives the economy is people creating new, excellent products and services with heavy levels of investment that actually change your life. This is the famous Henry Ford line, that if I had done what the market wanted, I would have created a more efficient horse and buggy. Right. It is, it is entrepreneurs and innovators and people who are constantly attempting to discern what the public would love to see from their imagination. And then investing their own resources, time, and money in that stuff. That is what drives the economy forward. That is why you are living a better lifestyle now than you would have in 1980. For all of the bizarre nostalgia for living standards in 1950, if you lived in 1950, okay, if you're the richest person in 1950, you had less amenities available to you than the poorest person who's living in the United States today, right? There were no cell phones in 1950 you were lucky if you had a nice car in 1950. If you had a house, that was like a big deal in 1950. The average living space in the United States is significantly larger than the average living space was in 1950. There's this nostalgia for a time that didn't exist. And it's funny, people on the left accuse the right of having nostalgia for a time that didn't exist in the 1950s, this sort of clean, socially conservative time. Okay, but the reality is that everybody on the left has a nostalgia for an economy that didn't exist in the 1950s. Okay, they have a nostalgia for a time they would not wish to, like no one had air conditioning in the 1950s. Everybody has air conditioning now. That is because of entrepreneurialism and innovation. And it's all that stuff that Democrats would like to see go by the wayside. So the, the final pitch for Trump should in fact be the economy. That should be the final pitch. If you elect Democrats, the economy will tank. And he's made that case. And he has said that. The problem is it's been overshadowed by him making the case on a variety of other topics. It should have been a singular message. The economy was great until COVID. The economy will only be great again after COVID, if you allow business to do what business does, and you cannot do that if you're talking about endless lockdowns, you cannot do that if you're talking about outsourcing America's policy to people who do not do multivariate analysis of all of the COVID based issues. Right? If you're just outsourcing everything to Dr. Fauci and Dr. Fauci's sole goal in life is not to balance the economic needs of the American people with the need to protect elderly from COVID right? His sole goal. I mean, he's the head of the NIAID, right? I mean, he's the head of the National Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases. He's not the head of the Fed. That means he does a single variable analysis. What activity is most likely to preserve the lives of people who are above the age of 70? But you do have to balance all of these things when you make public policy, right? How do you balance the risk to people above the age of 70 with the risk to an economy that supports 330 million people? How do you balance the risk of of additional life lost at age 85 with the risk of not allowing children to go to school, right? Single variable analysis is not sufficient in politics. This is why it was really funny. Jared Kushner was getting batted around yesterday by the media because he says that Trump took back COVID-making policy from the doctors and be like, oh, he shouldn't take back that policy. Well, I didn't elect Fauci. I mean, I'm more than willing to hear Fauci's perspective. He knows more about allergies and infectious diseases than I do. I'm also willing to hear the perspective of Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford University because he's an actual epidemiologist, right? I'm willing to listen to that as well. But we elect policymakers, we don't elect doctors. If you want to elect a doctor, you are free to go to a doctor anytime you choose. That should be Trump's closing pitch. It is a little bit, it's probably not enough right now. Okay, in just a second, we will get to the, the actual pitch that Democrats are making. Okay, so the pitch Republicans should be making is look at this economic recovery. If you'd like to see it continue, you need to elect Republicans. Democrats are making a counter pitch. And that is that Republicans are deeply immoral and you should never be friends with them. That really is their final pitch. And that's why that pitch, beyond the election, is going to have dire ramifications. For all the talk from Joe Biden about no red state America, no blue state America, I'm, I'm going to be president for all Americans. All Americans, come on, man. Well, let's be real about this. He is not. He's not, and he has no intention of being. Joe Biden is a corrupt old Democratic politician. He will move whichever way the wind blows. The winds in his party are moving very strongly in favor of the sort of don't ever talk with the Republican again mentality that you see in today's cancel culture. That cancel culture means an awful lot because when you talk about politics affecting your everyday life, there are two ways politics can affect your everyday life. One is the actual government policy affecting your everyday life. Tax rates go up, regulations go up. The other way is the way we all know politics affects our everyday life, which is the social ostracization the left has now thrust upon anybody who thinks differently. If you think differently, if you're the Girl Scouts, they will ostracize you, right? If you if you tweet out a nice thing about Amy Coney Barrett, they will force you to back down. If you are a person working in an office. And you suggest, just suggest that Barack Obama was a bad president, you'll be labeled a racist. If you say that you support Trump, you will obviously be labeled a racist. That is how politics affects your everyday life. And Democrats have invested heavily in that message because it is a social intimidation campaign to get you to cave and vote Democrat. That is what is happening on the left side of the aisle. It is an overt and covert campaign. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, this holiday season, more people will be mailing stuff than ever before. I mean, in many states, you literally cannot go away for the holidays. My, my sister wanted to come down to Florida for Thanksgiving. She can't, because if she goes back to where she is from, then they are going to quarantine her for two weeks. So that means that we're going to be mailing each other lots of gifts, right? I mean, we're going to be using the mail a lot. But one thing you don't want to do is slap over all of those pass- packages to the post office. Instead, what you'd really like to do is do this in quick and convenient fashion and at less cost. How do you do that? Stamps.com. Anything you do at the post office, you can do with just a few clicks. Plus, Stamps.com saves you money with deep discounts you can't even get at the post office. Here at The Daily Wire, we've used Stamps.com since 2017. No more wasting our time. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS directly to your computer. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business. Whether you are a small office sending out invoices, an online seller fulfilling orders during this record-setting holiday display season, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle all of it with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, you just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It is that simple. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail, up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time. It saves you money. It's no wonder over 900,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Right now, there is no risk with my promo code Shapiro. You get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale, no long-term commitment, no contracts, just go to stamps.com, click on that microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Shapiro, stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Remember, stamps.com, enter promo code Shapiro, and then you never have to go to the post office again, and you get that very special deal. Okay, so the closing pitch for Democrats is the same as the pitch has always been. You're a bad person if you vote Republican. It has nothing to do with Republican policies. It has nothing to do with why Joe Biden will be better for the country. It has to do with you, you on a personal level, you, Yeah, you, Bob, you're a bad person if you vote for Donald Trump. Don Lemon is making this case overtly in the media. You must be delusional to vote for for Donald Trump, says Don Lemon over at CNN. In fact, he says, I'm getting rid of Trump voters in my life. There are people who I like who are Trump voters. I can't have them in my life because they're so delusional. Here is Don Lemon on CNN saying the quiet part out loud about what the Democratic agenda really is, which is to close the Overton window to the point where you no longer are allowed in polite society if you have conversations that differ from the mainstream.
1: I have many people who I love in my life and yeah, I come from a red state, I've lived in several red states. There are a lot of friends who I had to really get rid of because they they are so nonsensical when it comes to this issue. They have the whole, every single talking point that they hear on state TV and that they hear from this president. They repeat it and they are blinded by it. I just, I had to get rid of a lot of people in my life because sometimes you just have to let them go. I think that they have to hit rock bottom like an addict right? And they have to want to get help. They have to want to know the truth. They have to want to live in reality. They have to want to be responsible.
0: So a long time ago, Alexis de Tocqueville, who's still the greatest observer of America and American life, he wrote back in the 1840s and he was writing about touring the United States of America. And Alexis de Tocqueville talked about the big problem in American life. He said one of the big problems is that social sanctions when used can be extraordinarily powerful. He says that the mob, could allow freedom of thought technically, but only to an extent, right? Here's the Tocqueville, again, writing nearly two centuries ago. The person who says, therefore, freedom of thought, but in favor of social stricture of mainstream opinion, he says, quote, you are free to think differently from me and to retain your life, your property, and all that you possess. But if such be your determination, you are henceforth an alien among your people. You may retain your civil rights, but they will be useless to you, for you will be never chosen by your fellow citizens if you solicit their suffrages, and they will affect to scorn you if you solicit their esteem. You will remain among men, but you will be deprived of the rights of mankind. Your fellow creatures will shun you like an impure being and those who are most persuaded of your innocence will abandon you too, lest they should be shunned in their turn. Go in peace. I've given you your life, but it is exi- it is an existence in- incomparably worse than death. The majority lives in the perpetual practice of self applause and there are certain truths which the Americans can only learn from strangers or from experience. Right, so the idea here is again, that social stricture is one way that politics is done. The left knows this. The left knows this. And so they've decided that they are going to excoriate anybody who votes differently than they do. And you see this in nearly every arena of American life. It's why it feels like the country is falling apart. It used to be that you would get together with somebody and you'd go to a baseball game. And at the baseball game, you'd put your politics aside because there was a baseline recognition that you were both Americans and that while you may have different political priorities in terms of how you vote, you still want what's best for America. You still believe in traditional American values. That has gone by the wayside. People on the left refuse to acknowledge this to people on the right. They literally refuse to acknowledge it. If you vote for Donald Trump, it is because you are a racist. It is not in spite of the... You're not voting Trump to stop the predations of the left. You are voting Trump because you buy into the worst excesses of Donald Trump. The reason it's because you love it. You love it. You're a bad person if you vote a particular way, right? This is why Jonathan Chait, supposedly open-minded liberal, calls Charlie Cook, editor-in-chief of National Review, and me. He says, we we are racist because Charlie is considering voting for Trump and because I've said I will vote for Trump. And this is how they feel about you, right? This is why Maisie Hirono, yesterday suggested that 40% of Americans are awful people. Right, Maisie Hirono, again, she's the dumb, dumbest member of the Democratic Party, but in her stupidity, she speaks truth. Yesterday, here is what she had to say about 40% of the American people. This is the final Democratic pitch because the idea is, do you want to be part of that 40% of people? No, didn't think so. Didn't think so. Right, here's Maisie Hirono yesterday saying 40% of the country, 40%, four in 10 Americans are angry, resentful, and fearful. This is the actual closing pitch. Put aside all the policy stuff. Put aside the Donald Trump, is bad stuff, the reason they hate Trump is not because they hate Trump so much. It's because they hate everybody who would possibly vote for Trump or think of voting for Trump. And Trump is just the the brutal and vulgar version of those people.
2: You can't have 40% or so of the country being um, so angry that they would continue to vote for somebody like Trump who will do absolutely nothing to improve their lives. But he speaks to their anger, resentments and uh, fear of people like
0: you and me. Alrighty. So leading up to the election, then Democrats are pretty confident that they are going to be able to ram through their agenda. They're pretty sure that that Joe Biden is going to be elected. Now, according to the polling, they're probably right. Now, there is a plausible read of the polling where the polls don't actually have to be wrong and Trump wins. Okay. In order for that to happen, Trump simply has to close the gap in a couple of states, right? He He has to close the gap in Pennsylvania, most importantly, but he needs to win Georgia, win North Carolina, win Arizona, and win Florida. Right now, all of those are margin of error states. Pennsylvania is slightly outside of margin of error, but not by much. Minnesota is also very close. So there's a way for Trump to win. It's not implausible. It, it Bottom line here is that it could go one of several different ways. There's not really a way that it's a blowout for Trump. I mean, there's just not. I mean, he's he's down seven points in the national polling. There is literally no way he's gonna win the popular vote. Yeah, that is the one safe prediction I can make. Donald Trump's not going to win the popular vote. People in California are standing in line to vote against Trump, even though it makes absolutely no difference to the presidential outcome because California will remain blue. Okay, but there is a world where Trump wins a fairly broad electoral college victory, where he wins Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Arizona, let's say Minnesota and Pennsylvania, right? That, that means that he wins a, a, as broad an electoral victory as he did last time. There's a plausible road where Joe Biden wins going away, where Biden swings all those states, Where Biden wins Florida, he wins Georgia, he wins North Carolina, he wins Iowa, he wins Wisconsin, he wins Ohio, because Ohio is tied. The polls would not have to be wrong for any of this to to happen, by the way. Right, Right now, Texas is within margin of error. So Biden could theoretically win Texas and the polls couldn't be wrong. So recognize that there is a lot of flexibility in those polling numbers. When people say the polls were wrong, now, there's, there's a, actually there's a range in which polls are still considered accurate. If you're within like two or three points of the final outcome, those polls are still basically considered accurate. This is why you have margin of error measurements on polls. So nobody should be too sanguine about where we are in this election, nor should people on the right think that if Donald Trump loses, that that is solely because of voter fraud. I have Trump voters who come up to me sometimes and they say this sort of stuff. Right? I voted for Trump already, by the way. In Florida, I already voted early, like a lot of people. uh, yesterday I was I was walking around and a fellow pulled me over uh, and he and he said, you know, if Trump loses, it seems to me the only way Trump can lose if there's massive voter fraud. And I said, there's always the possibility of voter fraud. But I don't think that that's the only way that Trump could lose. And I think that we should get out of this mindset. Well, the problem is that the left is in that mindset. Right. Everybody seems to be in that mindset. A lot of Trump voters think that if Trump loses, it's going to be because the system is corrupt. I mean, that's true for the media. Okay, the media had a massive outsized influence on this election. They are corrupt. But it's not because the voting system is corrupt. The left is saying the same thing. If Trump wins, it's got to be because of voter fraud. And this leads Nancy Pelosi to say, literally, as we'll see, that no matter how the voting goes on Tuesday, if you just keep counting the votes long enough, Joe Biden will be president of the United States. Here is the Speaker of the House.
2: I feel very confident that Joe Biden will be elected president on Tuesday, whatever the end count is, but on the election that occurs on Tuesday, he will be elected on January 20th. He will be inaugurated president of the United States.
0: Hey, just keep counting the votes long enough and, uh, and Joe Biden will be elected president of the United States. This is why Democrats keep suggesting that Republicans are trying voter suppression. There's no voter suppression, guys. Okay, we're gonna have more votes in this election than any election in history, bar none. We've had 70 million early votes at this point. 70 million. There were only about 135 million votes in the last election. Okay, so we have already surpassed Half of the vote total, and we haven't had election day yet. So, you know, this talk about voter fraud or voter suppression is wildly overblown. And the fact that Nancy Pelosi keeps talking, about it's so funny. Folks on the left, the, the folks at the social media companies, they'll say, how could Trump talk about voter fraud? That's so bad. I don't understand why talking about voter suppression is significantly better than talking about voter fraud. There is no widespread voter suppression, and there is no widespread voter fraud. Because put all that aside, because I don't think it's real. I don't think there's widespread, I don't think hundreds of thousands of people are mailing in fake ballots. I think we have measures to take if that is the case. Voter fraud matters on the small scale. It does not tend to matter on a broad national scale, where, again, the margin of victory is going to be hundreds of thousands of votes, at the very least tens of thousands of votes. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that Halloween is coming up. Policy Genius would like to mark the occasion by making something less scary, life insurance. Shopping for life insurance can seem like a daunting task. Policy Genius makes it easy. They combine a cutting-edge insurance marketplace with help from licensed experts to save you time and save you money. Right now, you could save 50% or more by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance. When you're shopping for a policy that could last for more than a decade, the savings really do start to add up. Here's how it works. First, head on over to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need, and you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Policy Genius will compare policies starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to skip that in person medical exam. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. Here's the best part. They work for you, not the insurance company. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they'll take care of everything for you. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five star rating across over 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. So if you need life insurance, really you have but one choice the Long Dock of Moria. Or head over to policygenius.com right now to get started. You could say 50% or more by comparing quotes Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it is nice and extremely important to get it right. Be a responsible human. Get your life insurance right now. Okay. So Nancy Pelosi, again, seems very, very confident. No matter how long voting goes, Biden will be elected. Also, she says Trump should take his loss like a man. Somebody needs to inform Nancy Pelosi that I have been reliably informed that some men have periods. I don't even know what it means to take a loss like a man anymore, considering she cannot actually define the word man. Nonetheless, here is Nancy Pelosi.
2: The easiest thing for him to do is to stand up like a man and accept the results of an election of the American people. For him uh, to make these kinds of statements shows his lack of patriotism, his undermining of our elections, while he allows foreign countries like his friend Putin to undermine the integrity of our election, he himself is doing it as well.
0: Ah, so Trump is undermining the integrity of the election by talking about, about voter fraud, Meanwhile, Democrats are not undermining the integrity of the election by constantly suggesting that millions of people are about to be disenfranchised. So let's talk about that for a second. So a wide variety of states have taken variant measures with regard to COVID-19 and when the balloting deadline will be. Now, it seems to me that it was idiotic in the extreme in the first place to make all of these bizarre sort of legal arrangements with regard to COVID-19, considering that we've known for months that you're not getting COVID from a polling place. They had massive polling in Wisconsin months ago, like in the middle of the pandemic, and there was not a major outbreak. We've had significant in-person voting across the country in a variety of elections since March. And guess what? No major COVID outbreaks because standing in line outdoors six feet apart is not going to give you COVID. We've known this for a very, very long time. Nonetheless, there was a major push by Democrats for mail-in voting because their suggestion was, and they thought that they were going to be able to consolidate that mail-in vote very early. Trump was campaigning against the mail-in vote. Then Trump realized he was telling his own people not to, vote in, to, not to mail in their votes. So he switched. Then the Democrats were like, oh, wait, we told all our people not to go out on election day. That's bad. So now they need to go out on election day. Here's the bottom line. We have procedures in this country for when election day is. We have procedures that are followed and that are put in place by the legislature for when you are allowed to count ballots. Usually the way this works under a Republican system of government is that the legislature makes a law and that law is the governing law and judges don't get to willy nilly rewrite the law. And if they do, that can be appealed to the federal level because that is violation of the Republican form of government. It is a violation of the federal laws governing voting, which are supposed to really delegate not to state courts, but to state legislatures. And so this has been the, the consistent, bizarre messaging surrounding voter suppression across the country. The question is not what the standard is. There's always a standard, right? We could stop we could stop counting the votes the day after the election. We could stop counting the votes 10 days after the election. We could stop counting the votes at midnight on election night. Right? We could do we could do any of those things as long as the rules are set by the proper body. The question is not what the rule is. The question is who sets the rule. So I saw Chris Hayes yesterday and he was like, imagine. Imagine if people just said that we were going to stop looking at your tax returns on April 15th. Imagine if we just shifted it and we said that if any any income tax return that was uh, that was sent in after April 15th we won't look at. Okay, I can imagine that and you know what happened? Everybody would would just mail it in 2 days earlier. Because it turns out that whatever the deadline is is what the deadline is. Institutionally and legally speaking, the question is who gets to make the rules. So the left has been going nuts over this because their suggestion is no matter who makes the rule, right? That the it's it's the content of the rule that matters, not the process by which the rule is made. So if a legislature correctly and and legally makes a decision to cut off the counting of the vote at midnight on election night. And then a judge stands in without any legal precedent and simply extends that for seven days. The left is like, excellent, excellent. And it makes no difference to them who actually creates the rule, right? And then if you step in, you say, hold on, the legislature, that's the legislature's job. You can't have members of the executive agencies rewriting the law, or you can't have members of the judiciary rewriting the law. Then they call it voter suppression. That's not voter suppression, guys. So I'll take a perfect example. The left yesterday was fighting mad, freaking out, freaking out over what's going on in Minnesota, because on Thursday, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals gave the GOP a victory in Minnesota. That's only a victory for the GOP because the GOP had appealed the legal process. is Hank Barry in Daily Wire writing, ruling that Minnesota absentee ballots must be physically received by 8 p.m. on Election Day in order to be counted. CBS Minnesota reported previously a ballot that was postmarked November 3rd would still be counted so long as it arrived within a week. The Minnesota Republican Party said, we applaud the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals for upholding the integrity of the election and affirming election day as November 3rd. So what was the court's actual finding? Were they trying to suppress the vote? No, Minnesota law dictates that election officials only count ballots received by election day. That is what it says in Minnesota law. The Minnesota Alliance for Retired Americans Education Fund and some of its members sued Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Steinman in Minnesota State Court, alleging the statutory deadline was unconstitutional. The secretary and the alliance then entered into a consent decree purporting to change the rules by essentially making the statutorily mandated absentee ballot receipt deadline inoperative. So in other words, a bunch of liberals went to another liberal, the secretary of state of Minnesota, and said, "Okay, let's sign into consent decree to just rewrite the law. That's illegal. You can't do that. You can't just have an outside group go to the secretary of state and say, you know what? Here's the legislature's law already signed into law by the governor. We're going to rewrite this on the side, you and me. You can't do this. This is what the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled. They said that the extension of the deadline likely violates Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution because the secretary extended the deadline for a seat of the ballots without legislative authorization. We therefore reverse the district court's denial of a preliminary injunction and remand to the district court to enter an injunction requiring the secretary and those under his direction to identify, segregate, and otherwise maintain and preserve all absentee ballots received after the deadlines set forth in Minneapolis state code. So they say that this is really screwed up the process. They say voter confusion was inevitable once the secretary issued guidance to voters that was directly in contradiction to Minnesota election law. An orderly process was hopelessly compromised when he usurped the authority of the legislature under the Elector's Clause of the Constitution. During the entire pendency of this litigation, Minnesota voters have been left with two sets of contradicting instructions, one from the secretary, another that has long been and remains codified in the election laws of Minnesota. In the end, it is always in the public interest to protect constitutional rights. In other words, the legislature gets to make the decision. Naturally, this has been characterized by Democrats as voter suppression. It is not voter suppression. Okay, just because I've seen Democrats claiming there's a long line at a polling station that's voter suppression. Nope, voter suppression is when Bull Connor drives up with a hose and starts hosing off all the black people to prevent them from voting. That's voter suppression. Standing in line is called being at a grocery store at Disneyland or voting. Okay, being in line is not voter suppression. Voter suppression is when you literally don't get to vote. It is also not voter suppression. When the legislature passes a law saying you have to vote and it has to be counted by the state. And then somebody tries to unilaterally rewrite the law. And then a court steps in and says you can't unilaterally rewrite the law. That is also not voter suppression. Nonetheless, you see Democrats claiming falsely that voter suppression is, gonna, is going to be the, uh, the result of all of this. So now Nancy Pelosi has shifted her stance. Before it was everybody should mail in vote. Now Democrats are deeply afraid that Trump is going to outweigh them on Election Day. Right. That's why she keeps saying. Trump may win on Election Day, but keep voting the, the keep counting the votes long enough. Biden will win. Here's Pelosi saying, I hope people won't depend on their mail-in vote.
2: This weekend shall be very interesting to see how many more people will vote in advance. I hope that people will not depend on the mail because they have done all they can to dismantle uh, the uh, postal system. But I salute our postal workers, our letter carriers, and those who are making the best of the situation but even uh, the Postal Service is saying it's too late now to mail.
0: Okay, so let, let me just point out, again, this is another Democratic myth. The mail has not been undermined. It is fully funded through next year. The post office delivers something like 300 million pieces of mail a day. Okay, they can obviously handle the voting. They, they, they have been handling the voting. All they requested way back early this year is that you not make the voting deadline so late and close to the election that it gives them no ability to actually deliver the mail properly. So when people talk about ramp up to violence in the election, when people talk about the possibility of people not accepting the results of the election, recognize the left is doing this mainstream and the entire social media infrastructure is is echoing this. Voter suppression is happening. You're not gonna get your vote counted. How do you think things are gonna go if Trump wins? I mean, seriously, because Trump could still win without bucking the polls, Trump could win. We'll get to that in just one second. First, I gotta tell you about this incredible new service. Okay, This is really a fantastic service. So I take lots of photos of my kids, right? But then they just sit there on my phone. And then eventually I get around to uploading them to a computer and maybe I print them out, maybe I don't. And then they sort of of go by the wayside, right? I just forget about them. Well, what if there was a service where you could send that photo in to a service and the service would send you back a beautifully printed photo that that photo to you on acrylic or wood on a beautiful piece of product? Okay, some of the most beautiful photos in my house, they come from myphoto.com. It's a game changer. It is crazy easy and crazy fast to take any photo and you can make it immediately into a metal glass wood creation. It's fantastic. It takes two minutes to do it. You get it in five days. It comes in a stunning gift box. So if you're shopping for the holidays for friends and family, this is like the best gift ever. It's fantastic. These guys have literally made millions of customers' memories come to life forever. You have to try it now. Go to myphoto.com. You can easily see your photo on all their products. And then simply purchase. Use the promo code BEN25 today for 25% off. Again, use the promo code BEN25 today for 25% off by going to myphoto.com. Again, that's myphoto.com. Use the code BEN25, get 25% off. You'll see how easy and fun it is. It's fantastic. It, It makes all your photos look great. I've got a bunch of them all around the house right now. And it's super easy, again, because all I'm doing is just like sending the photo into the surface and I get back this incredible product. By the way, I know the founders of the company, honorable, wonderful people like people I really trust person, like on a personal level, I trust the the founders of this company. Go check out myphoto.com right now. Use the promo code Ben25 today for 25% off. Send in your photos and get back. This wood, metal, acrylic, glass creation. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Myphoto.com, use code Ben25, get 25% off right now. Okay, so it is possible that Trump wins. I know Democrats don't want to accept this. It is possible that Trump wins. And it's possible that he wins without there being voter suppression or voter fraud, obviously. But Democrats don't want to accept any of this. Okay, Michael Moore, who predicted that Trump was going to win last time, he says he thinks Trump is going to win this time. Now, listen, you got to always take this with a grain of salt. I don't do election predictions anymore. One of the reasons is because all of the incentive structures are skewed for election predictions. If you're the one person who bucks the data and says Trump is going to win, and then Trump wins, then everybody declares that you are a prophet. If you are the person who follows the data and says that Trump is going to lose, you don't get any credit because you followed the data. If you are the person who says that Trump is going to win and then he loses, everybody just forgets about it immediately. That's the way this works. But Michael Moore, who did call it last time, he says he thinks that Trump is going to win again.
1: I wake up every morning with the assumption that Trump believes he's going to win. And that's good enough for me. Hmm. If he thinks he's going to win, then I think he's going to win. And I'm going to act every minute of today and the rest of the day until I fall asleep after midnight. I am going to be working to make sure he doesn't win because he thinks he's going to win. And I know he's an evil genius and he's smarter than all of us.
0: Okay, Michael Moore, man. Okay, so there is one area where Trump could pull kind of a stunner. What the polls are showing is something that people don't really want to recognize, which is that Trump is drawing an outside share of both the Hispanic vote and the black vote, particularly among black males. Among black females, black females hate the guy. I mean, just by polling data, but among black males. There's a heavier share of the blackmail vote going to Trump than any other Republican candidate of my lifetime, which people on the left find absolutely astounding. But I'm not sure why it's astounding, considering that he has pursued criminal justice reform, for example, considering that he has pursued these opportunity zones, considering that he has been featured in rap songs going back to the 90s as sort of the prototypical rich guy. right? So He's sort of been in some ways heroized by rap for, for several decades. Lil Weezy came out. Yesterday, Lil Wayne, Wheezy, I I have no experience with this, as you know. Despite the fact I am myself a Platinum Award winning rapper, I I really have no experience with anything around this. Lil Wayne, who I guess is also known as Wheezy, he tweeted out just had a great meeting with President Trump. Besides what he's done so far with criminal reform, the Platinum Plan is going to give the community real ownership. He listened to what we had to say today and assured he will and can get it done. And of course, Lil Wayne then received an extraordinary amount of blowback because you are not allowed to say that Donald Trump is a decent man. You can't say that. Not allowed to say that Donald Trump might not be a racist. Even taking a picture with Donald Trump is underscoring the fact he might not be a racist and that you are not allowed to say. Okay, so the, the Democrats have not accepted the possibility that Trump possibly could win. And so we all know that the, the plausible outcome, right? If Trump wins, if Trump wins, everybody assumes the cities are gonna burn, right? This is the corollary to the blackmail, the, demo, the moral blackmail Democrats have been using here. You're a bad person if you vote for Trump. Therefore, if Trump wins, the bad people won. Therefore, if Trump wins and the bad people won, rebellion is necessary, right? The nature of this country has been shifted dramatically. The fascists have won. It's time to loot and break things. You know who knows that this is the reality, that this is a real possibility? Every business in America, seriously, all of them, DC luxury shops are already boarding up in anticipation of the election, which just goes to show you, the rioters and looters, you think they're Trump supporters? For all the talk about the fascist brown shirts running around the land, creating violence, It seems like a lot of people who are gonna vote for Joe Biden, who if they vote at all, are gonna go break into stores should Donald Trump win. Walmart is now removing guns and ammo from store displays ahead of the election because they are worried about civil unrest. The news was first reported by the Wall Street Journal, which said the retailer was looking to head off any potential theft of firearms if stores are broken into amid any civil unrest caused by the upcoming presidential election on Tuesday. By the way, my theory, there'll be civil unrest either way. if Biden wins, people are gonna use it as an opportunity to go ahead and break things and steal things. But if Trump wins, the world will burn. If Trump wins, people will go out in the streets. It will get extremely violent, extremely quickly. And we all know this, right? This is not some sort of big secret. Walmart said, we've seen some isolated civil unrest. And as we've done on several occasions over the last few years, we've moved our firearms and ammo off the sales floor as a precaution for the safety of our associates and customers. These items do remain available for purchase by customers. A new USA Today Suffolk University poll found Americans are increasingly worried about what will happen as this year's tumultuous election comes to a conclusion next week, including whether the voting will be peaceful and the outcome broadly accepted. Only one in four say they are very confident the nation will have a peaceful transfer of power if Democratic challenger Joe Biden defeats President Donald Trump. But that, of course, is the wrong question. The real question is, if Trump wins, will anybody on the left accept that? And I think the answer is going to be almost universally no. And of course, they'll be fully justified in not accepting it because Trump is a terrible fascist and it's all voter suppression It's amazing how the media have focused entirely on Trump's allegations of voter fraud. Prediction right now. If Joe Biden wins the election, no widespread violence from the right. How do I know this? Because regardless of what has happened on the right, there's been no widespread violence from the right. Okay, it's just not a thing. The Tea Party was not violent. Black Lives Matter protests routinely break out in violence. The Tea Party was not violent. Occupy Wall Street routinely broke out into acts of lawlessness. It is the left that is constantly engaged in extra legal activity when they don't get what they want. And meanwhile, I think it is worthwhile examining what's going on over at the Biden campaign. Biden's closing pitch, again, is the same as it ever was, which is Donald Trump is a mean, bad, very bad orange man. But every so often we are reminded of just how bad Joe Biden is going to be. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about a great, meaningful gift. Okay, so above our couch in our new house is a beautiful portrait of me and my wife and two of our three children. And we fully intend on now going out and doing a photo shoot with our new baby. And then we're going to take one of those photos and we're going to send it into Paint Your Life and get a brand new portrait. It's a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. Send any picture, yourself, your family, family, a special place, cherished pet. Combine photos in one painting. With Paint Your Life's compilation portraits, you can even bring together family members who have never even met. Or you can create a portrait of the whole family without the need for everyone to be there for a family photo. You choose from a team of world-class artists and you work with them until every detail is perfect. You can order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. It's a quick and easy process. Get a hand-painted portrait in about three weeks. It's meaningful, it's personal, and it can be cherished forever. At PaintYourLife.com, there is no risk. If you don't love that final painting, your money is refunded. And they work with you, like the whole way. Like we actually corrected our painting a couple of times before we were satisfied with it, and then they sent it to us. Right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That is correct. 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, Text the word Ben to 64,000. That's Ben to 64,000. Again, text Ben to 64,000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Okay, in just one second, we'll get to the Biden campaign. Reminder, if Joe Biden becomes president, it ain't going to be great, Bob. It's not going to be good. We'll get to that in a second. First, it is that glorious time of the week when I give a shout out to a Daily Wire member. Today, it is Charlotte Catherine on Instagram who understands proper Halloween messaging. In this picture, two skeletons stand on the front porch prepared to greet trick-or-treaters. One is wearing a Voter Die t-shirt, while the other holds the world's greatest beverage vessel in one hand and a sign saying, still waiting for socialism to work, which is excellent. The caption reads, in a neighborhood full of one sign of virtue signaling, it helps remind people that facts don't care about your feelings. My peacefully protesting skeletons stay hydrated with the most glorious drinking vessel, a leftist tears tumbler. Their cup literally runneth over. Hashtag socialism sucks. Hashtag Halloween decor. Well done. Best house on the block, bar none. Thanks for the pick. And thanks for being a Daily Wire member. By the way, if you want to be featured, become a Daily Wire member. This could be you next week. Also, you may have noticed the country is falling apart. And there's a massive conflict of visions. As I've been talking about for literally years at this point, what we are watching is the breakdown of America in real time into two groups. One that believes that America's fundamental rights ought to be preserved. And one that believes America's fundamental rights are indeed the actual obstacle to prosperity and decency and equality. Hey, that is the great battle of our time. If you want to educate your kids, if you want to educate the college students you know, if you want to educate your friends on what is at stake, why American philosophy is good, why American history is good, pick up a copy of my book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. It is a vital read. I mean, really, I wrote because I thought it was important. I think it's even more important now. I think it'll be even more important post the election because there needs to be a reacquaintance with the founding principles of the country And we need to understand why people are attacking those founding principles. How to destroy America in three easy steps. Go pick it up at Amazon.com or anywhere else that books are sold. Also, this weekend, we have another great episode of the Sunday special. This time with author, columnist, documentarian, Shelby Steele. You've heard me reference his work before. It is fantastic. In our conversation, Shelby details his struggles with Amazon and the journey he has gone through to get his important documentary made. It's a documentary all about Black Lives Matter and Michael Brown and the lies about Michael Brown. Steele and I discuss the reason President Trump and his supporters are so often labeled as racist, and the huge issue underlying so much of American politics, white guilt. So, head on over, watch early at dailywire.com, listen this Sunday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts, here's a bit of a taste.
1: Freedom is not that interesting in black America. What's interesting is this enormous power that befell us in the 60s when America owned up to, to its past.
0: All righty, head on over to dailywire.com or listen this Sunday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, the presidential election, it's almost here. We have an amazing day of programming scheduled for you. Our live stream starts November 3rd, Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific. It features special guests, live interviews, an elephant, and more leading up to our evening show where we'll be covering the results with you in real time, even better. Join Daily Wire right now. Get 25% off with code Election so you can watch all of our election coverage live on our Apple TV or Roku app. Members get our articles ad-free, access to all of our live broadcasts and show library, the full three hours of the Ben Shapiro show, and an exclusive Reader's Pass content available only to Daily Wire members. Also, I can't wait to show you all the new stuff we're gonna unleash in the new year, like tons and tons of new material behind the paywall. In the new year. If you're considering an All Access membership, you get to join us on All Access Live every night for online live stream discussions with our hosts and an amazing online community. You also get not one but two leftist tiers tumblers with your membership, as well as early, sometimes exclusive access to new Daily Wire products. And as I say, we're going to be rolling out a bunch of brand new, awesome stuff in the new year. So watch the election with us at dailywire.com. Get 25% off your Daily Wire membership with code ELECTION when you sign up today. You are listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Okay, so just a quick reminder, this election is not just about the supposed evils of Donald Trump. Joe Biden will be president if Joe Biden is elected. I know people forget about that because we have been told that the signal sign of your own evil is voting for President Trump. And so you can alleviate your evil simply. You can exercise that evil by by just voting for Joe Biden. There's only one problem. Joe Biden then becomes president. So yesterday, Joe Biden was speaking and he was talking about being a standard bearer for democracy. This just shows you the overt lies that are told by Joe Biden. He said he was campaigning in Florida before he was hit with a rainstorm. He immediately ran away from the rainstorm, which, you know, not a great shock. And William Henry Harrison died 40 days into his term because he stayed out in a rainstorm. Although I will say that the rain in Florida is uh, quite warm. Anyway, here was Joe Biden suggesting that Donald Trump is a terrible standard bearer for democracy. I will explain how idiotic this statement is in just one moment.
1: President Trump can't advance democracy and human rights for the Cuban people or the Venezuelan people, for that matter, when he has embraced so many autocrats around the world, started Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un of North Korea, Trump is the worst possible standard bearer for democracy in places like Cuba, Venezuela, North Korea.
0: Okay, I have to just say that last line there is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard Joe Biden say. And that man says stupid things every single day. Every single day. I mean, first of all, He is obviously losing his crispness just in his articulation there. But beyond that, okay, for him to say that Trump is a terrible standard bearer for democracy in Cuba and Venezuela, dude, 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 dude. let let me just, okay, the reason he's, he's mentioning Cuba and Venezuela in Florida is obviously there are tons of Cuban expatriates and their children. There are a lot of new expatriates to Florida who are Venezuelan and who are voting Republican because they don't wish America to look like Nicolas Maduro and Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. Just a quick note, Joe Biden's plan yeah, this is coming out today. Joe Biden's plan is to dump over Juan Guaido in Venezuela, who is the head of the assembly, who was, who was supposed to be the sort of interim president once Maduro, who's a dictator, was deposed. He's planning to dump over Guaido, just abandon him completely, and go back to negotiating with Nicolas Maduro, who's a brutal dictator, right? who's been suppressing the people of Venezuela. I mean, Hugo Chavez and Maduro reduced the most oil-rich country in South America into a trash heap. People literally eating dogs to survive. And this has been going on for years on end. The Obama administration wants to deal with Maduro. They did nothing to stop Maduro. They did nothing to stop Hugo Chavez. I mean, it is fully crazy how accommodating they were to the Venezuelan regime. And speaking of Cuba, I mean, it was Barack Obama who said he wanted to reopen Cuba and then went and hung out with Raul Castro. And there's the famous photo of Raul Castro holding up Barack Obama's arm. And Obama's got the limp wrist and the whole deal. I mean, seriously, that's the actual photo. That's not me making fun of Obama. That's the actual photo. There's a picture of Barack Obama in Cuba, standing in front of a giant mural of Che Guevara. Barack Obama was at baseball games with Raul Castro. He said, don't tell me that the great standard bearer for democracy is gonna be Joe Biden in Cuba and Venezuela. I mean, it's just like the number of lies that Joe Biden thinks he can tell just because Donald Trump is orange man who's bad in orange is truly crazy. It's truly crazy. And of course, Joe Biden still doesn't have to answer any questions about his son. So it's not just that Joe Biden, like, listen, there's still lack of substantiation on Joe Biden being directly involved in business with his son or benefiting directly from business with his son. There is no controversy at all that Joe Biden knows full well that his son Hunter was jet-setting all over the globe doing corrupt deals on the basis of his name. He was allowing members of his family to do this for literally decades, for literally decades. Now, there's a report from James Rosen that the Justice Department has confirmed that in 2019, the FBI actually opened up a criminal investigation into Hunter Biden and his associates focused on allegations of money laundering and that that investigation remains open and active today. Rosen is a reporter with the Sinclair Broadcast Group. Of course, this follows hard on Tony Bobulinski, suggesting that he was questioned by six FBI agents. Bobulinski is Hunter Biden's former business partner with counsel present for five hours on October 23rd, listing him as a material witness in an ongoing investigation focused on Hunter Biden and his associates. An FBI spokesman told the Washington Examiner, we have no comments in keeping with our standard practice of neither confirming nor denying the existence of an investigation. Materials, of course, tied to Hunter Biden come from a laptop that he apparently left with a computer repair store in Delaware and then abandoned, and then it ended up in the hands of Rudy Giuliani and such. Now, Biden's people keep refusing to answer the question. And again, it is perfectly plausible for Joe Biden to say, I've never made money off of any of this. But he has said Hunter Biden never did anything wrong and that there are no serious accusations Hunter Biden has ever done anything wrong. Well, that's not true. I mean, that, that, that honestly, that's not true. There have been lots of accusations that Hunter Biden has done wrong stuff. Hunter Biden himself acknowledges that he benefits from daddy's name in order to pick up bags of cash in foreign countries where he has no connections. Naturally, Biden's spokespeople refuse to answer any questions at all. Because we saw big tech react the way they did on the New York Post story, that the allegations in it are are off the table. They are false as far as you're concerned. Look, we're not going to waste any seconds on this smear campaign. So to clarify, we, there were more accusations made this week uh, on that most-watched Fox News interview a couple nights ago from Tucker Carlson. Did those meetings happen as they have been alleged when Joe Biden was a private citizen? We're not going to waste any time on this smear campaign. Of course. They don't have to waste any time on this quote-unquote smear campaign because the media is covering up for them no matter what they do. Here's MSNBC's Stephanie Rule saying the entire Hunter Biden story has been debunked, which uh, is weird because it has not, in fact, been debunked.
2: Do you think we need to know who President Trump personally owes over $400 million to in the next four years?
1: Well, the touche point here uh, would be simply, do you think we ought to know more about Hunter Biden's
0: laptop and that? So let's not go there.
2: Absolutely. We should note Hunter Biden isn't running for president. That argument has been debunked.
0: Okay, no, the argument has not been debunked. The question is what Joe Biden knew, when he knew it, and how involved he was. And Tony Bobulinski says that Hunter and Joe were deeply enmeshed and involved. That has yet to be rebutted. Don't worry, though. The media will just cover up for it. So now they're trying to misdirect. There's an entire article from NBC News today called How a Fake Persona Laid the Groundwork for a Hunter Biden Conspiracy Deluge. One month before a purported leak of files from Hunter Biden's laptop, a fake intelligence document about him went viral on the right-wing internet, asserting an elaborate conspiracy theory involving Vice President Joe Biden's son and business in China. The document, a 64-page composition that was later disseminated by close associates of President Trump, appears to be the work of a fake intelligence firm called Typhoon Investigations. Okay, there's only one problem with this. As Kimberly Strassel points out, none of this has to do with Hunter Biden's laptop. Okay, that that fake dossier that was passed out has nothing to do with any of the stories we have ever talked about on the show. Not one story that we have ever talked about on the show. So now the media are putting focus on an actual fake story so they don't have to cover the very real story of Hunter Biden's laptop. Because guess what? It has now been confirmed that, according to the New York Post, forensic analysis says that all of the Hunter Biden emails are 100% authentic. And so we're not going to focus on that. Instead, we are going to focus on non-authentic emails so as to misdirect from serious questions about all of this. Well, Glenn Greenwald, who uh, I am no fan of Glenn Greenwald, and Glenn Greenwald, I know, is no fan of mine. Uh, Glenn Greenwald has routinely taken, I think, anti-American positions. Uh, He was doing propaganda on behalf of WikiLeaks. Uh, He has been an enemy of the state of Israel for a very long time uh, and very much in favor of Israel compromising its own security. Glenn Greenwald, I disagree an awful lot, but Glenn Greenwald has at least been consistent enough to call out the Hunter Biden story and to call out false claims about Russian collusion. Well, now he has resigned from The Intercept, which is an organization he founded on Thursday afternoon signaling an abrupt and acrimonious end to his time at the publication he co-founded in 2014 with Jeremy Scahill and Laura Poitras. Greenwald, who shared the 2014 Pulitzer Prize for Public Service for his reporting on the NSA in domestic that was uncovered by Edward Snowden, said his departure was related to a piece he planned to write about the former Vice President Joe Biden. In a lengthy note published on Substack, Greenwald said the publication refused to publish the piece in violation of my contractual right of editorial freedom unless he removed all sections critical of Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden, the candidate vehemently supported by all New York-based Intercept editors involved in this effort at suppression. The Intercept instead said, no, 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 he's just whining, that he was asked to support his claims and in innuendo about corrupt actions by Joe Biden with evidence. And they said it's preposterous that Glenn Greenwald is accusing them of any sort of bias at all. So uh, there's a Schrodinger's in watching the left attack itself this way. But when Glenn Greenwald quits the organization that he founded saying that they are trying to suppress stories on behalf of Joe Biden, you know, that is not a nothing. That is not nothing. Okay. Meanwhile, the new push by the media, because the economy is in a state of recovery and because it is absolutely clear at this point by all available evidence that you cannot control the pandemic. You can't. Okay. There's no way to do it. The only way to quote unquote control the pandemic is with full-scale lockdowns that destroy the economy and only delay the pandemic. They do not destroy the pandemic. Okay. that, That is the reality of the situation. The pandemic that has struck America is now striking Europe. Europe is having rates it has never seen before in countries that were locked down, right? Germany was a success story. Now, Germany is experiencing thousands and thousands and thousands of cases. France was until very recently experiencing a downturn in cases, and now they've seen a massive uptick in the number of cases. Italy is experiencing a massive uptick in cases after it was widely assumed that they'd gotten this thing under control with mask mandates, for example, right? So this thing is going to hit everywhere, and it's going to be bad, and it's going to kill a lot of people. And honestly, the only thing that you can do is when you're in close quarters, you socially distance as much as you can and you wear a mask in close quarters. But mask mandates have actually done virtually nothing. right? Germany, as of October 29th, had almost 19,000 cases. 19,000 cases in a day in Germany. Okay, that, that is a massive number of cases in Germany, which was one of the big success stories. So here's the reality about COVID. You can't stop it. You can only hope to quote unquote contain it. Okay, and all you can really do is try to shield the most vulnerable by telling them to stay home. And then if a bunch of 20 year olds get it, Bunch of 20-year-olds get it? Now, I've been a long time a proponent of the idea that if you are 20 years old and you're, you're at university and you get this thing, that is not the end of the world. You should just isolate from your elderly relatives. I've been a long time a proponent of the, the basic idea proposed by Hebrew University scientists suggesting what they call control the avalanche. The idea being that if you are ever to reach herd immunity because a vaccine may only be 50 to 60% effective. I know, bad news, right? It is bad news but that is a reality and you can either deal with reality or not deal with reality. A vaccine may only be 50 to 60% effective. There's no guarantee 100% of people are going to take it in the first place. Therapeutics are getting better. There is no guarantee that therapeutics are going to save anybody's life. Okay? The hospitalization versus death rate, hospitalization rate is up, death rate is down. These are all baseline facts. With that said, if you ever reach if you ever hope to reach some level of herd immunity, that's going to have to happen by protecting and shielding the vulnerable and the elderly and by basically allowing the virus to move as it will through a 20-year-old population, right? You start with the least vulnerable populations, and if they get it, they get it. And that's not the end of the world. Pretending that a 20-year-old getting COVID and recovering from it is the end of the world is ridiculous, anti-scientific nonsense. Okay, but naturally, because the economy is recovering and because the baseline awareness that you can't contain the virus is setting in, this is driving the media up a wall because their entire narrative is that Donald Trump blew this. This is all Donald Trump's fault. So in Donald Trump's narrative, which is basically that we're gonna to have to live our lives and learn to live with the virus becomes the mainstream narrative, then the talking point about COVID goes away. But Democrats and members of the media, but I repeat myself, continue to push talking points about COVID that are just outdated. So here is Shep Smith, now over at CNBC, asking Anthony Fauci why we cannot impose a 111 day lockdown the way they did in New Zealand. Okay, New Zealand has had a 111 day lockdown. They locked down the entire country when there were four cases in the country. Okay, and the answer is because we have an economy supporting 330 million people plus the rest of the globe. That is the reason. The reason is because you should not lock hundreds of millions of healthy people in their homes because that is a violation of basic civil liberties. You certainly should not do so when we're not talking about airborne Ebola, when you're talking about a virus that largely targets people who are identifiable, namely the elderly and the infirm. And when you're talking about a virus with death rates for people below the age of 20 that are lower than that of the flu. Here is Chef Smith, though, Begging Anthony Fauci, why can't we just lock down the entire country, you know, indefinitely.
1: You were talking about what an extraordinary thing has happened in Melbourne. They had 111 day lockdown, started with 20,000 cases a day. And as you pointed out, two days ago, they had zero cases. Why can't we do that? When you talk about lockdowns, that certainly they were extremely successful. There is very little appetite for lockdown in this country. There's going to be a major pushback, both from above and at the local level.
0: Okay, well, yes, it's not just that there's pushback, it's that there ought to be pushback. Sacrificing every freedom and liberty that you have on the basis of a virus that, again, is deadlier than the flu, but is not nearly as deadly as many of the other diseases that we have talked about as being, you know, kind of contagion-style diseases. It It is foolishness. I mean, even the WHO at this point says that lockdowns are bad. Nonetheless, The narrative must never be released. So Dr. Vin Gupta over at MSNBC, he says that it's time to shut down schools and restaurants. Okay, there's a case to be made with regard to closed air restaurants. There's no case to be made with regard to schools. Even Europe has the schools open still. Do I think that indoor dining, Craig, do I think uh, that in-person schooling are likely going to have to reconsider those particular parts of society right now in the midst of an out-of-control pandemic? Yes, I do. Because right now, the only way you can safely open up schools, Craig, is on-site testing. And unless you're an affluent school district, you don't have access to it right now. Indoor dining, we know it's needless. And we know that that's been a source of, of, of spread of this virus. So I okay, do I'm think sorry. that this certain is, parts this of is anti-scientific. Are- okay, on the restaurants, he's not totally wrong. On the schools, he's utterly and absolutely wrong. And my kids have been in school. There's been no outbreak. Okay, the reason there's been no outbreak is because you are asked to fill in a wellness report every day. If any kid shows a symptom, they're immediately sent home, and then they're quarantined until they, it can be determined whether they are healthy. Plus, kids are not passing this in the same numbers as adults, particularly kids under the age of 10. Okay, this is all anti-scientific. Okay, that's anti-scientific stuff. The, it is all based on a myth. The myth is that we know the solution to COVID, and the solution to COVID is all the stuff Trump doesn't want to do. So Trump doesn't want to do lockdowns. That means that the solution to COVID is lockdown. Trump doesn't like masks particularly much. That means that the solution to COVID is masking. So Joe Biden is now pushing national mask mandates. According to the New York Times, as the nation heads into what public health experts are calling a dark winter of coronavirus illness and death, public health experts are coalescing around Joe Biden's call for a national mask mandate. Even as they concede such an effort would require much more than the stroke of a presidential pen. Over the past week, a string of prominent public health experts, notably Fauci, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former commissioner of the FDA under Trump, have said it is time to seriously consider a national mandate to curb the spread of the virus. Overseas this week, President Vladimir Putin of Russia became the latest foreign leader to impose a national mandate for citizens to wear masks. Biden has conceded a presidential order for Americans to wear masks would almost certainly face and most likely fall to a legal challenge. Biden has already said that as president, he would mandate masks on all federal property. An executive order that could theoretically have wide reach also He could require masks on public transportation under federal transit law, and he could prod governors who are resisting mask mandates to at least require masks in public buildings in their states. Okay, so let's talk talk about mask mandates for a second. First of all, when caseload gets heavy, people wear masks. This is what the data show. It does not matter whether there is a mandate or whether there is no mandate. When there was a big uptick in Florida, Florida is not a mask mandate state. Guess what? People started wearing masks. When there was no uptick in Florida, people were not wearing masks. When there's heavy cases in Texas, people will start wearing masks. People take action to protect themselves. This is a thing that they do. National mask mandates, threatening to throw people in jail or fine them for not wearing a mask properly. First of all, the vast majority of people who are wearing masks are not doing so in medically approved fashion. It's better than nothing in some cases. But in a lot of cases, I mean, how many times do you see somebody walking around with a mask under their nose virtue signaling? How many times do you see people wearing neck gaiters? Those are pretty controversial scientifically as to whether those are helpful or whether they are in fact not helpful. In fact, one thing that we know about mask mandates is that they are no guarantee of preventing an uptick. You know, Weiss has gone through the data over on Twitter. He's a, a data guy. And here are just some graphs of how mask mandates have worked out in particular countries. Okay, so if you look at European COVID-19 cases per million, masks required versus no masks required, what you see is Sweden, Norway, and Denmark are coming in well below right now. Germany, Ireland, Portugal, Italy, Austria, UK, Spain, France, Czech Republic, and Belgium, all of which have mask mandates. Okay, so it is not really about mask mandates being the great solution. And you can do this by country, right? You know, and Weiss goes through this. So take a look, for example, at Austria. So Austria mandated masks after they had already hit the downslope of their original wave. That mask mandate never waned. They didn't get rid of the mask mandate. Now Austria is experiencing 250 cases per million. Okay, they put in a mask mandate when they were experiencing about 50 cases per million. Okay, or take a look at Germany. It mandated masks about halfway down their original recovery, according to Iannone Weiss, okay, when they were about 25 cases per million. Now they're experiencing close to 120 cases per million. That mask mandate never waned. How about France? So France waited longer to mandate the masks. They have about 1,000% the daily cases when they mandated masks, despite having one of the highest mask compliance levels in the world. Spain put in a mask mandate. Okay, Spain put in a mask mandate around... May 17th, May 20th, they are now 1,500% up on their case level. The British held out on masks for a long time. Then they mandated masks. And guess what? Did not stop the wave. This does not mean that masks are useless. Masks are useful in certain scenarios. But the idea that a mask mandate is going to solve this thing is absolute silliness. People are going to wear masks when they feel like they're in danger. They're not going to wear masks when they don't feel like they are in danger. But again, this is all about promulgating a narrative in the United States that the solution is at hand and that all that is required is for Joe Biden to implement that solution. The data are not there. This is why when I hear people on the left say, follow the science, follow the science. I'm sorry, but the Democratic Party is not following the science. They're not. This is the same Democratic Party downplaying the vaccine. I mean, Andrew Cuomo, the worst governor in America. Andrew Cuomo, who's out pushing a book about what a great job he did with COVID in a state that had the second worst death per million rate in America. He now, he's now saying the federal government hasn't started to focus on a COVID vaccine. Like this is, he's just spouting absolute bull crap, but he's Captain Science here. Here is Andrew Cuomo, upheld by the DNC as a as a model of what you should do about COVID.
1: This is basically, let's call it halftime in the game, right? We went through the first phase. Uh, we had a brief respite before the fall, and now we're gonna have the fall and the winter, and then vaccination, which is a whole a long, difficult a process that the federal government hasn't even started to focus on. It's not about finding the vaccine. You then have to administer 330 million doses, right?
0: Okay. Um, actually, the federal government has been working on that for quite a long time, you idiot. By the way, he also lies about his own record. He then says it's a conspiracy theory if you're worried about nursing homes in New York, despite the fact that there was an actual policy to ship people with COVID back into nursing homes, and that he then refused to reveal the actual stats on how many people had died in nursing homes and falsified the stats by claiming that people who were diagnosed with COVID in nursing homes and then died at the hospital were not actually in nursing homes. Here's a liar and fabulous Andrew Cuomo.
1: If you look at how many people died in New York uh, nursing homes, New York is number 46 out of 50 states in the percentage of deaths in nursing homes. The conspiracy they're trying to, to spread just has no factual basis. Uh, but yes, people in nursing homes died and they're playing politics with the issue, which I think is
0: especially cruel. Okay, playing politics with the issue? Dude, you put out a poster. You sold a poster about your own incredible performance after a horrifying performance and a creation of a death curve that looked a lot like the don't have this death curve chart that we were all shown at the beginning of the pandemic. But don't worry, this is the party of science. This is the party of science. Okay, meanwhile, just a quick note. You know, the The issues that... plague the United States, the the gap between people in the United States who believe that that Western civilization is worthy of upholding and that American philosophy is worthy of upholding. That gap continues to exist, not not just in the United States, it continues to exist across the West. I'd be remiss if I didn't comment on a story uh, that happened in France over the course of the last few days. There were two separate horrifying attacks, two separate horrifying attacks in France. Three people died in a knife attack in a church in Nice. Over the last couple of days, in what French President Emmanuel Macron said was an Islamist terror attack. He said France would not surrender its core values after visiting the Notre Dame Basilica in the southern city. An extra 4,000 troops were being deployed to protect churches and schools in Nice. In Nice, one elderly victim was virtually beheaded. Another woman and a man also died. A male suspect was shot and detained. Well, presumably, they should have tried to tase him, according to uh, those who don't like the police. Anti terror prosecutors have opened an investigation into the attack. France has raised its national security alert to its highest level. According to the French anti-terrorist prosecutor Jean-Francois Ricard, he said the attacker was seriously wounded by police, that he was a 21-year-old Tunisian national who had arrived in France earlier this month. He had a document issued by the Italian Red Cross. He had traveled by boat from Tunisia to the Italian island of Lampedusa in September. He was placed in coronavirus quarantine there before he was released and told to leave Italy. The suspect had been cutting off people's heads while shouting endlessly, Allahu Akbar. Two other attacks took place on Thursday, one in France and one in Saudi Arabia. A man was shot dead in Montfavet near a southern French city of Amiens after threatening police with a handgun. Also, a guard was attacked outside the French consulate in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. A suspect was arrested. The guard was taken to the hospital. This, of course, follows closely on the recent murder of the teacher Samuel Paty, who was beheaded close to his school outside Paris earlier this month after he showed a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad in his classroom. Police have not suggested a motive for the attack in Nisa. I think that the part where he's screaming Allahu Akbar while chopping off someone's head is a pretty good indicator. It follows days of protests in some Muslim-majority countries triggered by President Macron's defense of the publication of cartoons that depicted, Muhammad. there have been calls in some countries for a boycott of French goods. So two people died in the church, a 6 year old woman who was virtually beheaded, a 55-year-old man whose throat was cut. Apparently, the man was responsible for the upkeep of the church and had a wife and two kids. Another woman who was 44 fled to a nearby cafe after she was stabbed several times, she died later. So what we are watching in France is a a small wave of terrorism that follows hard upon controversy over people showing a cartoon of Muhammad. The question is whether the West is going to have enough of a belief in its own value system to stand up to this sort of disgusting Islamic fascism. Okay, not all Muslims believe this stuff. There are many, many Muslims, many Muslims, some of whom I've talked to on this program, who believe that you have the right to show a picture of Muhammad, that you have, that you, you can do all of that and not have your head chopped off. Unfortunately, there are, in fact, hundreds of millions of people who believe that if you show a picture of the Prophet Muhammad, that at the very least, you might want to have, you may deserve to have your head chopped off. And to pretend this is a, a completely fringe phenomenon is to ignore the fact that it is not, in fact, a completely fringe phenomenon. How do we know this? Because... The prime minister of Malaysia, the former prime minister of Malaysia. Okay, Malaysia is a country with a population of, right now, 31.53 million people. Malaysia it is one of the larger Muslim countries on planet Earth. The former prime minister of Malaysia tweeted out, Muslims have a right to be angry and to kill millions of French people for the massacres of the past. Muhammad said, killing is not an act that, a Muslim, that as a Muslim I would approve. But he also doesn't think insulting other people should be included in freedom of expression. He said you cannot go up to a man and curse him simply because you believe in freedom of speech. Irrespective of the religion professed angry people kill, the French in the course of their history have killed millions of people. Many were Muslims. Since you have blamed all Muslims and the Muslims religion for what was done by one angry person, the Muslims have a right to punish the French. Any boycott cannot compensate the wrongs committed by the French all these years. And that's when he said Muslims have a right to be angry and kill millions of French people for the massacres of the past. Twitter, is, it, 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 Twitter hesitated on this. They, they didn't ban the tweet immediately. It's one thing to ban the New York Post, like right off the bat, for publishing emails from Hunter Biden. It's another to ban people saying that Muslims have the right to kill millions of French people from a former prime minister of Malaysia. Okay. But it is the, it, there's one line in there that is worthy of note. When he says, you cannot go up to a man and curse him simply because you believe in freedom of speech. Okay, this is a view of free speech that unfortunately has been taken up by many people on the political left. Scotland right now is about to put forth a law that basically allows for the arrest of people for hate speech. Okay, it is scary, scary stuff. There's a Scottish bill that would criminalize hate speech in private homes. May Reid McCardle re- reporting for National Review. A controversial bill making its way through Scotland's parliament would criminalize hate speech even if the offending words were uttered in someone's private home. Members of the Scottish parliament questioned Justice Secretary Humza Yousaf for the first time on Tuesday about the hate crime and public order bill, which would establish a new crime, quote unquote, stirring up hatred. The legislation criminalizes hate speech related to age, disability, religion, sexual orientation, transgender identity, and variations in sex characteristics, including potentially hate speech spoken in private residences. After criticisms from groups saying that the bill threatens to stifle free speech, Yusuf agreed to amend the legislation when it reaches stage two of consideration in parliament. The amendment will stipulate offenders may only be prosecuted if they had, quote unquote, intent to stir up hatred. He said, he said, I'm very actively considering both the breadth and depth of freedom of expression clauses. We have to be aware of some of the concerns that may be expressed. If we were to have a generic freedom of expression clause, would that be specific enough to give people the reassurances that they desire? It is a full scale destruction of basic individual rights. It is being pursued in Western countries. It has unfortunately become a talking point of many on the left in the United States as well, which is that the individual rights that you hold are a danger to others. The right to free speech is a danger because you might commit blasphemy, right? You harm somebody's perception of their own religion. Good for Emmanuel Macron. He has said, no, you do have the right to actually exhibit pictures of the Prophet Muhammad if you wish to do so in a Western country. I just wonder if as we move forward in time, as we continue to apologize for Western civilization, as we continue to apologize for our rights, as we continue to suggest that the roots of Western civilization lie in racism, bigotry, homophobia, and cruelty, if we are willing to stand up for individual rights with a multicultural left intent on the idea that, rights are themselves responsible for the violation of the rights That all you have to do is curb rights and you'll reach utopia. It doesn't mean that everybody is in favor of beheading people who draw pictures of Muhammad, but it does mean there are an awful lot of people on the left who would like to see that sort of activity drawing Muhammad made illegal so as not to set people off so we can all live in a world free of offense. All righty, we'll be back here on Monday because we have at that point one day until the election. Rest up over the weekend. Try not to burn things down. We'll see you then. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Klavan Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producers are Nick Sheehan and Rebecca Doyle. The show is edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Koromina. Aaron Makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020.
1: You know, the Matt Wall Show... It's not just another show about about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental. And that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. We'll
0: get to more on this in just one second. First.